welcome. Welcome to Grace Fellowship. Uh, you guys look a little bit less tired than last week. I remember last Sunday, I think more than 80% of the room or this chapel, you guys seemed really, really tired. But, you know, I'll be praying for you guys. I know especially for college students as it's coming to a close. The semester is already coming to a close, right? Uh, you guys have lots of midterms, projects, and finals. Uh, just know that we're praying for you guys. So uh, be strengthened and you know, finish strong. Thanksgiving break is around the corner, right? Amen. So please uh, uh, hang in there. For those, who guys are, for those of you guys who are working, uh, we don't have final exams, but you guys don't have winter break. So uh, let's just keep, uh, you know, uh, depending on the Lord for strength. I know uh, we always seek for those wow moments or those like really exciting times in our lives. But, you know, one thing that I learned in my short Christian journey is that, you know, like 80, 90% of your life is mundane. And that's how life was meant to be. And I think who you are really in those mundane moments, that just shows your maturity as a follower of Christ. So even though there's nothing exciting going on in your life, that's, that's no, that might be normal. And I think God wants you to see how you are and who you are during those times. So I just want to encourage you to keep being faithful and uh, keep on depending on the Lord. Um, if you guys are here with us, if you guys were here with us last week, we started a new book, a new uh, series called um, living with God in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 1. Uh, today we'll be reading from verse 6 through 13. I know in your bulletin it says John chapter 16 through 13. That doesn't really work. We're not going to read backwards. Sorry, I, I missed a uh, colon there. So John chapter 1, verse 6 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. Let's all stand as you read and depend on the living word this morning. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh, not of, uh, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, I ask of you this morning uh, to empower us through your word. We do confess that we have more of the world in our lives, in our hearts, than the word of God. And as we learned last week, the word is the living word, God incarnate, Jesus Christ who is not only the creator, but also the sustainer, and the God who promises to be with us every step of the way until the very end. So we ask and pray that you will help us to depend on you and look to you as we read and as we study the living word. Strengthen us, Lord. Empower us. Equip us to overcome the battles in our lives. Sometimes battles seem too big, uh, too grand for us to bear, yet we know that there's nothing too big for you. And we know that as we depend on you, you desire for us to rest in you. You desire for us to find peace in you. So help us to do that. 
uh, as we depend and listen to your word this morning. Thank you again, Lord. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you guys are taking notes, title of today's uh, message is called Light of the World. Light of the World, or The Light of the World. As I mentioned, uh, starting last week, we started a new sermon series in the Gospel of John titled Living with God. What does that mean? Living with God. And in verses 1 through 5, we learned that the Word, referring to Jesus Christ, was eternally pre-existent as the Creator God, meaning Jesus, the beginning of Jesus is not Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament, but the beginning of Jesus starts all the way back, even before Genesis, because we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God or towards God, the Father, and the Word was also divine, meaning also God. We also learned that Jesus not only created the world, but he also is the light who continues to shine and desires for his people to be a light in the darkness. But then we come across today's passage in verse 6, right? John, who is the author of this passage, is writing about the Word, how the Word uh, was in the beginning and how the Word was with God and how the Word was God. And all of a sudden, verse 6, he changes the subject very randomly from verse 6 to 8. And then he goes back to talking about the light or talking about referring to Jesus Christ. Because from verses 1 through 5, we see John's focusing on the Word and the light as the main subject in verse 6 through 8. He focuses on another subject named John. So then what's going on here? How are we to make sense of this in light of the overall structure in the first 18 verses? Because we see the first 18 verses in the book of John, you can see that as like a spark note or a cliff note or a synopsis of what's going to happen in the rest of the book of John. Yet, as we look all the way down, we see in the middle, verse 6 through 8, it's talking about this dude named John. Well, I personally believe there are no errors in the Bible, even if this off-tangentness of John, is in, I do believe, is intentional in every way. So then let's first look, at, look and find out what is John trying to say in verse 6 through 8. And if possible, I was hoping that we could all, because it's short, read it together. So can we put it up there? So first, uh, verses 6 through 8, pass, 6 through eight, 9, actually, passing on the light. Let's all read this together. Ready, go. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I think the first thing we need to make clear is that John, the author of this book, is not the John that this John is referring to. Let me, let me try to unpack that. Let me rephrase that. The author of this book, John, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, is writing about John the, uh, John the Baptist. Sorry. So John the disciple is writing about John the Baptist. At a glance, we can mistakenly think that's really odd. Why would someone ever talk about themselves in a third person? Maybe some of you guys do that, but here he's not. He is referring to John the Baptist. What the author of this gospel is saying about John the Baptist is that he is a man that is sent on a mission from God. Just like Jesus, he is sent on a mission before Jesus comes incarnate from God not as the word or the light, but simply to bear witness about the light. 
Another way to say it, he is a testimony of the light. However, what's interesting is how adamant the author is in mentioning how he is not the light. Right? We see it over and over again. I am not the light. Oh, he's not the light. He's only to bear witness about the light. He's not the light. He's only to bear witness. He repeats himself like four times. So why does he do that? Well, we see it again in verse 20. We see that he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. We see that John the Baptist is not the Christ. The reason why both John, the author, as well as John the Baptist repeatedly kept on mentioning that he is not the light, that he's not the Christ, is because there were some people who thought he was the Christ. Back in the day, there were some people who actually thought that John the Baptist was the promised Messiah. Friends, I believe for us, it's very important to know who we are. Some of us really know who we are, right? How do you guys describe yourself? Asian, Christian, student, mom, dad, or sibling. But I believe it's just as important for us to know who we are not. For example, I'm a big, big fan of basketball. I love playing basketball. However, I am not good enough to play professionally. I know that. And I will never be good enough. To, it's too late. I will never be good enough to play in the NBA. Or, I am a pastor and a student of God's word who is called to shepherd and pastor this church. But, I am not the leader or the savior of this church that people ought to follow. I ought to only lead people to the true source of salvation, who is Jesus Christ. Similarly, although John the Baptist had a very large following, I mean, if he had an Instagram account, if he had a Twitter account, he would have had so many followers. He was actually like a celebrity. There were many who exalted him, many who worshipped him, many who praised him, and many even called him Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one. But John the Baptist knew who he was. And who he knew who he wasn't. John the Baptist was not the Christ, but was simply an arrow. Or a witness that pointed others to the true Christ, to the true light, Jesus Christ. So let's look at that. John the Baptist is not the Christ, but he is an arrow. I believe John the, John the disciple purposely mentions John the, John the Baptist here, in the middle of all this word and light talk, because many mistaken John the Baptist as the word and light. So to make clear once and for all, and repeat four times, John is reminding everyone who is reading this passage that John the Baptist is not the light. John the Baptist is not the Christ. Jesus is. As we can see in verse 9, Jesus is the true light and the source of light which gives light to everyone. John is not the light, but he is simply a testimony or an arrow that leads others or points others to the true light, Jesus Christ. So then what's this got to do with us? I feel like I'm repeating myself, right? What's, what's this got to do with me? With, with, with me? Because I get the fact that John the Baptist is not the Christ, he's not the light, and Jesus is the light, but what does that mean for, for me? Friends, I believe this is also our call. We can learn a thing or two from John the Baptist. 
As a follower of Christ, if we are committed to worship and exalt Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we also ought to be an arrow. We also ought to be an arrow that points others, not to ourselves, not to other things in this world, but to point others to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. Friends, how are we doing in this manner? If you joined us last week, I encouraged our church to apply the message to be the light, to be his light that shines brightly in our mission field, in our school campuses, in our workplaces, in our families. How are we being a light to those around us? How are we being an arrow that points others to the true light, Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about you are being a light by bringing joy, giving them, uh, making, uh, making their day, or uh, bringing laughter to those around you, making them feel better. But how are you being a light that shines the light of Christ to those around you? Meaning, if people know that you are a follower of Christ, are they impacted in a positive way? And are you leading them one step closer to Jesus Christ. I believe we can shine the light if we are connected to the source of light, which is Jesus Christ. But the main issue is maybe we don't remember the last time we shared our faith to those around us. Maybe we don't even remember the last time we prayed for people, the people around us. We don't even remember the last time we prayed for our own fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So how can we pray for the people who do not even know Jesus? Friends, I believe it needs to start with our personal devotion. It needs to start with our personal devotion as we connect ourselves to the true source of light. Then we are empowered to shine and be an arrow that points to Christ. I'm curious how many of us are daily spending time with the Lord. Can we, I mean, if we can pause, can we just go around? Everyone stand up one by one and just share I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I think we really need to check ourselves and see the importance of our personal devotion. We spend a lot of time in the gym. Maybe some of us spend a lot of time, right, mastering our craft in doing well in school, getting that GPA. Some of us are really, really good at making schedules, but more often than not, devotion is not part of it. Friends, it needs to start with our personal devotional life. As we connect ourselves to the true source of light, it is then and only then we can shine. And just as John the Baptist is passing on the light of Christ towards others, to others, so that through him many will believe, I believe that is too our call. However, Although Jesus is the true light, there are those in this world who reject him and cannot accept the fact that Jesus is the source of light, which leads us to our second point, rejecting the light. Rejecting the light. Look with me in verse 10. He was in the world, meaning Jesus, right, the, the light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, meaning he came to his own creation, and his own people, the Israelites, the Jews, but they did not receive him. 
Although the world was made through him and although Jesus came to the world that he created, his own people that he created, his own creatures, rejected him and even wanted to kill him. They didn't even know who he was despite all the convincing proofs throughout his ministry. We saw that in the book of Matthew, didn't we? As he taught in the temple, in the synagogues, as he performed miracles, as he healed people, as he cast out demons, as he calmed the storms, more and more people began rejecting him. And later on, Matthew 21, when he enters into Jerusalem, his own hometown, they were ready to kill him. John does this in chapters 2 through 12, focusing on Jesus' ongoing ministry. And as Jesus is doing his ministry to prove his identity, to prove that he is the Christ, to prove that he is the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for, his people, the Jews, fail to recognize who he is, and they reject the light. Isn't it ironic that his own people, the Jews, fail to recognize the Messiah when the marginalized, the outsiders, the so-called sinners, the Gentiles, were flocking and repenting and asking him to rescue them from their slavery to sin. Friends, can you imagine? I mean, it's, it's as if your very own child, I mean, some of us, many of us don't have, but it's as if your very own family or your very own parents disowns you or rejects you, saying that they don't even know who you are. And they want nothing to do with you. Maybe some of us have heard that before from our parents. And it's left a long-lasting scar. So the question we've got to ask is why? If Jesus is truly the source of light and eternal life, and if Jesus even sacrificed his own life to rescue us from the wrath of God for our sins, then why do people reject him? If Jesus is truly too good to be true, if he is really the light, the word of God, if he is really the, eternal, the way, the truth, and the life, then why are people rejecting Jesus Christ? I think bottom line, people just believe that Jesus is not enough. People believed that Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. He was a great entertainer as he performed a lot of miracles, but Jesus was simply not enough. They wanted all that Jesus had to offer, but they didn't want to surrender. They didn't want to submit to his authority. Right? It's kind of like when you guys go to, you guys, I don't know if you guys call it quad day, the beginning of the semester, when all the clubs are lined up, or activity day where all the clubs are lined up, and they want you to sign up for their email, sign up your, uh, your, with your contact information. So you go and you want to reap the benefits. You want that free t-shirt, don't you? You want the free pants or the free, free frisbee or whatever, but you don't want them to, you don't want to be tied down to that club. I remember as a freshman, I signed up for, I kid you not, I signed up for like every single club possible that gave something for free. But then I remember like I never responded and I didn't go to any of the meetings. I believe Christian life is very similar. Many of us, we want to reap the benefits without committing. You want to know why people have a hard time getting married these days? The secular view of dating and marriage or relationship, the secular view, the worldly view of love is that. You want to take advantage of everything that the marriage could offer, 
without the commitment, without the responsibility. For these people who, reject, who rejected Jesus Christ, they, they rejected him because they wanted all that he had to offer, but they didn't want to surrender. They didn't want to submit. They liked the fact that Jesus had offered eternal life, but they didn't like the fact that they had to repent for their sins. Perhaps due to, our, due to the darkness of the world and sin that is hovering over them, they have become blind from seeing the only one that could bring them out of their darkness. And friends, the sad reality is that this is true of us today as well. Not only outside the church, but especially in the church. Many attend church on a regular basis and have knowledge of the Bible, have knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they think they know all there is to know regarding Jesus. But to them, ultimately, Jesus is not enough. He's not everything. He's a lot, but he's not. I can't surrender. I can't surrender my life. You know how hard I work for this? It always has to be, friends, Jesus plus something else. If I could just have this much money, then I can give my life to Jesus. If I could just be in a relationship with that person, then, I, I'll, then I'll, I'll commit to Jesus. If I could only land that job, just this one promotion, let me just work this much, let me give two years of my life for this, and then the rest of it I'll give it to Jesus. Same goes for us in believing in this lie. That the world is teaching us that if we only get what we want in life, we'll be fully satisfied. We'll be happy. We'll be set. The American dream, right? But friends, that's exactly what the book of John is pointing out within regards to living in darkness. That's exactly what the gospel of John is talking about here. Without the light, meaning without Christ shining upon our lives and pointing out the things that are hindering us from shining that are hindering us from growing, we will always live a life that remains in darkness. Let me say that again. Unless Jesus makes you uncomfortable with the word of God that is living and active, unless Jesus makes your life uncomfortable by pointing out how you are not living the life that he intended you to live, you will always live a life that is remaining in darkness. Not only here on earth, but for eternity. Friends, isn't it ironic how we hear stories of the golden calf from the Old Testament? Thinking, how stupid, how ridiculous is that? People build a golden statue and start worshiping and bowing down to that? Yet here we are. As we too place so many things above Christ. As we too devote more of our time more of our efforts, more of our energy, thinking that that's going to get us ahead in life. Just a quick challenge for you college students. If you are missing church on Sunday to get your work done in school, I have nothing against that. As long as you can honestly say before God that you gave it your all this whole week without slacking off, that you just simply didn't have enough time in a day, but if you could really be honest before God, I can guarantee you that you have time. Enough to come to church on Sunday. 
But if you're substituting your time to come to church on Sunday and worship God so that you can get ahead in life by studying more, then maybe you're studying for the wrong reasons. And maybe I'll get some pushback. Maybe some college students, you guys won't like me because I'm saying this, but I, as your pastor, are seriously concerned for you because if you're studying for the wrong motives, you will continue to live that way for the rest of your life. We are just like the Israelites who are bowing down to dead idols. Friends, Jesus was rejected by the very ones whom he created. He was rejected by the very ones whom he called his. He was rejected by the very ones who he came to rescue by dying on the cross. Let me ask us, what are some ways we reject Jesus in our lives today? What are some ways we reject the light to remain in darkness? We are voluntarily wanting to remain in darkness. Whatever it might be, may we be reminded today of the great benefits. Of the great benefits of the newfound identity in receiving the true light, Jesus Christ. We think, oh man, I don't want to be tied down. If I really live for Jesus Christ, if I, call, if I am like a Jesus freak, if I am obsessed and only living for Jesus, then I'm going to have so many different responsibilities. We always think about the negatives. Well, let me just tell you. The benefits, right? Because even if you open up a credit card or if you join a club, you want to hear the benefits, right? What, what, what is, what's in it for me? Let me tell you. The benefits of receiving the light, which leads us to our third point. Verses 12 to 13. Can we read this together? It's up there on the screen. 12 to 13. Yeah, 12 to 13. Let's read this together. Ready, go. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who accept the true light becomes the children of God. Let me read that one more time. Those who accept the true light, meaning those who accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you automatically become now a child of God. Although many have rejected the light, we see that some actually received the word by believing in his name, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? To believe in Jesus does not simply mean you have knowledge about Jesus. That you can spit out all the different names that, or all the different titles that Jesus was mentioned by in the Bible. But to be in a relationship with him. Let me say that again. To believe in Jesus does not mean for you to know a lot about Jesus, to have a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but to be in a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe for some of us, we're very we're like introverted. We don't really, we're not really good with relationships. You still have relationships. But nowadays, many people, many of us want to have relationships not with human beings, but with something else. In our own virtual reality. To be in a relationship with Jesus, to welcome Him, to submit to Him in a personal relationship as your Christ and as the light, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. And as we see in verse 12, that those who receive the light, meaning both those who believe and submit to Jesus, are given the right. They're given the great benefit, the great privilege, the great honor to become the children of God. Some of us are not so like, 
so that doesn't sound that nice. Friends, to be saved simply doesn't mean we get to go to heaven and die. Many of us think, okay, uh, if I am a child of God, if I believe in Jesus, then I will go to heaven. So, some of us maybe think this way. I used to think this way. Maybe some of you guys do. I'm going to sin as much as I want until right before I'm going to die. And then for that last minute, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. And that's my ticket to heaven. If you've heard that aspect of the gospel, that is not the gospel. That does not mean salvation. Friends, it means so much more when you are believing in Jesus. It means so much more than a ticket to heaven. If we are in Christ, if we believe, if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to be saved means we get to become his children. To be saved means we get to become part of his family with God as the creator and the sustainer of life. It means there's an identity change. For example, for those of you who are Korean brothers, Korean brothers with Korean passports, it breaks my heart, but you are required to fulfill mandatory military service, right? And the only way, the only way out, or the best way out is for you to marry someone with a U.S. passport. That's like salvation, right? For you to marry a U.S. citizen so you don't have to go to the military. Why? Because through marriage, you have the opportunity to change your status from a Korean citizen to a U.S. citizen to reap the benefits that come with that citizenship, meaning exemption from military. Praise the Lord, right? Hallelujah. Paul describes this identity change so much better in the book of Romans 8. Let's look at Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul makes it clear. You are either a child of slavery to sin or a child of God. Meaning if there's that no identity change, if you want to remain in living in darkness, if you don't want to commit your life to Jesus, then it means you are now, you will always be a child of slavery to sin. You cannot have one foot in, one foot out. You got to choose. What's your identity? Due to our sin, our identity before Christ is nothing more than a hell-deserving sinner. No matter how smart you are, no matter how attractive you are, no matter how strong you are, without Christ, you are nothing more than a hell-deserving sinner. And you will always be, no matter how much money you make, no matter how successful you become. Only when there is an identity change through Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, as we believe in Him, there is that adoption process that takes place where we are now called sons and daughters of God. As we are adopted into the family of God, that means we not only escape the spirit of slavery, but we now take on this newfound identity in Christ as pure, holy, and precious child of God. But the only way we can reap the benefits of adoption, 
The only way we can be part of God's family is through Jesus and only Jesus. You can only be part of God's family through Jesus. Let's look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Scripture reminds us that the only way we can be part of God's family is not through blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of God, but only of God. What does that mean? It means that even if you come from the most royal family with rich lineage, I don't know, let's say your ancestors are owners of Apple, or let's say your ancestors were kings and queens and presidents. doesn't mean anything. Whatever the case might be, that's not good enough reason for you to be part of God's family. That's not your ticket. That's not going to qualify you to become God's child. What about the will of the flesh or the will of man? Even through human effort, Meaning, even if you grew up in a Christian home, maybe some of us, we grew up all our lives in a Christian home. Even if you gave birth to a little one as a Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean you or that person, that little baby, is now part of God's family. No. At our church, we baptize infants, hoping and committing that they are, not, they are now part of our covenant family. And we will do our best to raise them and to, so that they can know Jesus. But ultimately... It's between them and God. So for me, every day as I look at Lydia, I pray. It's not up to me. No matter how hard I try, at the end of the day, it's between God and Lydia to see if she is a child of God or not. I can do my best. Even as a pastor, there is a possibility that Lydia is not a child of God. And it will never be. And that's why we are baptizing her, because we are hoping that we will do our best, not only myself, but even as a church, to commit to raising her to be a child of God. That's why a lot of us commit to serve in the children's ministry, because we are committing as a church to raise them up as best as we can so they can know Christ and have a relationship with Him. And that's why some of us are serving in youth group, aren't we? Because it is during that time as youth group, high school, middle school, during that age where majority of the people know Christ personally. Friends, no royal lineage, no human effort, no will of man is going to be able, able to grant you salvation. The only way is Jesus. We see this in Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's not. Not your human effort, nothing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. By His grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, anyone can be a child of God. Anyone. Even the worst of sinners... Even the ones who failed so many times, God is inviting you to become his child. Friends, do you come from broken homes? Broken families with so many scars, so many pain and hurts? This invitation's for you. Do you struggle with certain addiction? This invitation is for you. Do you feel like a failure? This invitation is for you. Do you feel unlovable, feeling as though no one would even dare to love you if they really, really knew who you were? Jesus reminds us that he knew us before we were even created. 
He knew us before we were even born, and yet he reminds us today that there's no one too messy, no one too dirty, no one too unlovable for him. Family of God includes the worst of sinners, rich or poor, male or female, young and old, free or slave, Jews and Gentiles, because the one thing that unites all of us together is nothing that we can ever bring to the table. But it's only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the true light, our Lord and our Savior, that we can be adopted into his family. As we conclude, I wanted to show this video, but uh, I thought it would be too distracting or too cute and almost could distract us completely from the main uh, message, so I'm not going to show it, but I'll just share it real quick. I'm sure many of us saw this video on social media that's been going around for a little bit. It's this uh, Chinese girl named Gabby who's been adopted. Uh, Gabby is four years old, and she sits down with her new mother to talk about the day that she and her little, little sister Lily were adopted into their family. This is like a little later after they've been adopted as little kids. And as Gabby, she's four years old, as Gabby is sharing about how she's so excited to meet mommy and daddy, she then tells her mom a little secret. She tells her a little secret and how she felt when she saw them. She said her heart fell in love with them. Like the cutest thing ever. Uh, maybe because I'm now like a new dad or with a daughter, but when I watched this video, I couldn't stop watching it over and over and over again. Not only because how cute Gabby is, but because of her sincerity. Because of her genuineness and her love for her new parents. Friends, if we can compare our relationship with God, when was the last time he heard how you felt about him? When's the last time you showed affection towards him? When was the last time you cried out to him and called out his name? When's the last time you reminded him that you love him? I believe Jesus reminds us each and every day through his word regarding how he feels about us. And it never wavers, it never changes. He is God, Emmanuel, who promises to be with us to the very end of the age, who calls us his own as his adopted children. But friends, how do we feel about him? Are we still in love? Were we ever in love with him to begin with? Or are we still wrestling with this idea that we don't need him? That we can do better on our own? God, I needed you a lot when I was younger, but now I'm good. I'll come back to you when I need you, but I'm good now. That we got better things we need to prioritize in our lives than our relationship with him. Friends, I pray that we will be reminded of our newfound identity in Christ. This great privilege to be adopted into his perfect family as sons and daughters to shine brightly for his kingdom. Just like John the Baptist, to be an arrow that points others so that one more soul, one more person can have this great privilege to not only see the light, but also be the light as they are now adopted into his family. Church, can we make a commitment to be a light, to be an arrow that points others to the source of life, 
Uh, I was at a church renewal conference this past week in Milwaukee. It was super cold. It was like seven degrees. Uh, but one of the things that they emphasized over and over again was how the church becomes so inward focused. As the church is now getting older and older, not only age, not by age of the congregation, but as the church that's been planted here. Now our church is like 10 years old now. As the church is getting older and older, it becomes more inward focused. It's about us. It becomes more survival. We just got to survive. We just got to survive. And we don't really connect with those who are in the darkness. You know how many unbelievers there are in your campuses? You know how many unbelievers are living in your neighborhood? Those who are desperately in need of the light. Those who are desperately in need of Christ. Can we make a commitment to praying for that person? For the, even just one person. For God to really work in their lives. For God to really touch them. For God to really lead them to the true light in Jesus Christ through you. You know that? You have the full capacity to lead others to Christ. We, can't, we don't have any ability to change someone, but we have the empowerment of the gospel to lead them to the true source of light. And I pray that we will make a commitment to do that. I'm not saying let's bring everyone we know to the church, but just one person at a time, as you love on them, as you pray for them, it might take six months, it might take a year, it might take 10, 20, 30 years. But at the end of the day, you're here today because of someone who was the arrow that pointed you to the light. So may we too be the light and the arrow that points to the source of light, Jesus Christ.